Have you identified your pain points or maybe you're looking for some guidance on where to even start? Last week's episode, I interviewed Hugo, the founder of Owl Solutions, on how they simplify supply chain performance. Make sure to go and check out that episode at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 69. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. This episode is brought to you by IANA. IANA represents the intermodal freight transportation industry. Every year they put on a massive event, Intermodal Expo, where the stakeholders, decision makers, and influencers of the intermodal supply chain gather. Expo is the place to be to make connections and advance your business. Expo will be held in Long Beach, California, September 15th through 18th, and I'll be attending and hope to see you there. Register online today at intermodalexpo.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week is Canada Day and July 4th. So happy Canada Day to my Canadian listeners and happy July 4th to all of my American listeners. I hope that this week is full of celebration, family and friends, and so, so much more. But because it's the beginning of the month, that means that it's just in time for a new Woman in Supply Chain episode. And that episode is sponsored by Halft. Halft sponsors my Women in Supply Chain podcast as well as the blog. And the reason they do that is because the supply chain industry is growing dynamically and yet women still only fill 15% of top level supply chain positions. Halft believes that gender equality and diversity is critical of an inclusive workforce and they're committed to making a difference where they can. Here's a little bit more about Halft. Halft provides a single global platform that allows IT to find, secure, transform, and move information at scale. Hulf's seasoned data logistics consultants uncover hidden pain points, automate tedious manual operations, and streamline data flow worldwide. For 25 years, Hulft has helped more than 10,000 customers automate, orchestrate, and accelerate their global data logistics, making it easier on IT and putting the data to work for enterprise. To learn more, go to hulftinc.com. That's H-U-L-F-T-I-N-C.com. Now, let's get to this week's listener's corner. So the question of the week was, how do you go about enacting change? We had some really great discussions over on LinkedIn, and you're going to find all of the information in those discussions over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener's corner. The first one from Naomi Garnis, she says, enacting change successfully means bringing everyone along for the ride. Have a group dialogue communicating the change what's fueling it, how it will help, and ask for feedback on the new strategy. Christopher Thornton Jr., once a need for change is discovered, I educate myself on the implications of making said change. Once I have a good grasp on the positive impact the change will have, I educate those in my sphere on the benefits of the change. And Keelan Spence, I personally believe that the ability to adapt to change is a personality trait that makes changing easy or difficult. 
difficult. I enact change by reminding myself of the desired outcome of the change or changes being made. David W. Weaver, I actually wrote a bit about this in an article addressing the management of a supply chain career. One section was titled, Be the Change You Want to See. And we're going to have the link to that article over on Listener's Corner at Let's Talk Supply Chain. Remember to join us each and every single Wednesday to learn and grow from each other on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, if you have any supply chain questions, make sure to send those in to me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. So today's episode, Kathy Fulton is joining us from American Logistics Aid Network. Kathy was introduced to me by Joe Tillman of logisticstrainingcenter.com when he won the contest I had a few months back on Twitter and he donated the gift card he won to Allen Aid. Kathy is doing some amazing things by bringing her logistics network together and helping those in need with climate change, spoken about regularly, and disaster relief in the news on the daily. It is an important part of our future and something the community seems to be coming together on. That is why I wanted to shed some light on Kathy and the important work that they are doing. So welcome to the show, Kathy. Hey, thank you, Sarah. It's so great to be here. Well, the work that you and your team are doing is so very important. And before we do anything, I just want to thank you for all that you do in the industry. Well, thank you. It's really um, a collaborative effort. We, you know, we can't do this by ourselves for sure. Absolutely. And we're going to hear more about that as we go on into this episode. But why don't we start with your journey to success? It's always great to hear about everybody's different journeys because the paths are never straight. So tell us about your journey to success. You know, have you always been in the supply chain community? And what led you to Allen or the American Logistics Aid Network? Yeah, so um, I, I like to say that uh, I kind of lucked into um, my job because it certainly probably was not by any decisions that I made intentionally along the way. Um, so I have worked in supply chain for or in the community for just over 20 years now. Um, I was working for Saddle Creek Logistics Services, um, doing IT of all things, and I got drafted to do a software project for this you know, new startup organization called the American Logistics Aid Network. And I thought, well, this is, you know, this sounds interesting. Let me, let me give it a shot and, and see what I can do to, to help them out. Um, so I was, you know, going through the software and, you know, wrote this probably scathing report about how the software was probably not going to do what it was intended to do. Um, and then suddenly two weeks later, uh, Hurricane Gustav hit the Gulf Coast um, and it turned out that um, I was about the only person who understood how the business community could interact with with that software. So I got dra- I got drafted. <laughs> so I was the I was the expert there. Um, so I volunteered for a couple of years. And it was really you know quite interesting the the disasters that happened during that time is 2008 to 2010, and you know we went through the Haiti earthquake uh, in that time. And that was kind of um, eye-opening for me to, to kind of see, you know, island logistics. Um, so I was, you know, a volunteer for a couple of years, and then I was offered um, basically a residency, uh, take a year off from my IT job and go spend it working as an operations person for, the, for Allen. 
um, I was not a logistician. I still sometimes don't consider myself a logistician. Um, but I thought, wow, this could be something interesting. You know, it could take, you know, my passions, all these things that, that I enjoy about helping people um, and put it to to good use um, around a, a community that I've already started to know a little bit about. So, again, you know, I lucked into it. I like that. And I'm glad that you shared that story of how you came into it. And it's funny because I was talking to somebody about um, them taking a hiatus from their job to go and do something else as well, which is not something that you definitely you, you necessarily hear about um, very much. But I think you're starting to hear more about it these days. And just for our listeners, if you are hearing some background noise on Kathy's end, she is coming to us from Florida and there's a huge storm happening in the background. So I am just super grateful that Kathy is still doing this episode with us. But that just just so you know, that is what's happening in the background. So you talked about how you got involved with Alan. Um, but what exactly is American Logistics Aid Network and how does it work? Let's give, you know, a little bit of context, I guess, to the listeners. Sure. Um, so by virtue of the name, it truly is a network. Um, we were formed by the uh, industry associations. There were 13 at the time and there are 35 now. And those are the associations that um, focus on uh, professional uh, supply chain activities. Um, so, you know, we were formed to be that unifying voice and their response to disaster relief. Um, you know, and I love to say that, you know, competition is good for consumers because it helps keep pricing low. But during a disaster, collaboration is far more important. Um, so we're the bridge. Um, and the way that it works is um, nonprofits who are working on the ground in disaster relief. And you can think about the ones who are helping to provide shelter or food or cleanup activities. Um, they, just like every you know, every organization out there need logistics uh, services. So Alan helps to understand what those nonprofits are doing, uh, what they really need, and uh, take those needs to the business community. Um, we help them, uh, you know, kind of, we kind of act as a translator uh, to say, you know, here's what the, the nonprofits are talking about. If you were to do this from a commercial perspective, this is, this is what it would mean. We're working with the businesses who are capable of donating their services. Um, and that can be everything from transportation to warehousing, material handling equipment, expertise, um, anything that you need to do in a commercial logistics um, uh, mode, you would certainly need to do those same things during disaster relief. So we're helping businesses do good um, and we're helping the nonprofits kind of kind of move their supplies. Um, I'll just add one more thing to that in that um, in order for a business to be there to provide that pro bono support after a disaster, they themselves have to be prepared. They have to keep their business operating. Um, so we also do a little bit of work on, um, on, on the preparedness side with the business community and the information side, just helping them understand what's really happening um, with infrastructure, you know, roads and bridges and curfews and, and, and whatnot so that they can keep their business going during a disaster. Yeah, and I like how you described the different ways that companies can help. Right. Because sometimes, 
you know, we take a look at Alan and we take a look at the disasters and we're all watching TV. You know, we, we can see what's happening out there. And in some ways we want to help. Right. But also in other ways, we're just not sure how. And so I'm glad that you were able to sort of lay that foundation so people can really get a good understanding of how they could help because there, there's a lot of different components. Yeah. And, and we often see, you know, businesses who, who jump into help and then realize that they've gotten themselves into something they weren't really planning on. Um, disaster relief is incredibly complex. Uh, you can't just load up a truck and, and drive to a disaster zone and expect to uh, expect to be able to hand out supplies. Um, you know, number one, if you can even get anywhere close to the disaster, um, somebody is probably going to to stop you before you before you get there, right? So then, why is the logistics industry so instrumental to disaster relief? Yeah, and so I would say it's not just logistics in general, but specifically commercial logistics providers. Um, you know. The statistic is that 60 to 80% of humanitarian spending um, goes towards logistics. So if you think about uh, what happens during a disaster, stuff has to get there. People have to be fed, they have to be housed, they, they need clothing, they need you know all of these supplies to kind of restart their lives. Um, and the commercial logistics providers are providing those services every day, right? So in a blue sky before the disaster happens, those people are getting their food and their clothing and, and whatnot from commercial sources. And so as commercial supply chains are optimized to move things literally around the globe every single day, um, it's their expertise and knowledge that can be leveraged during uh, disaster response. It, you know, it may look a little different during a disaster than it would during a blue sky, um, but you know, it's still the same, you know, logistics is logistics. Um, I, I'll also say, you know, businesses have an incentive to, to get involved because disasters are, are not, you know, just affecting individual citizens, right? They're affecting uh, those companies' employees and their customers and, and it's their businesses. So it's really incumbent on them. It's important to them uh, to get engaged and, and help support their communities. Absolutely. So now that we know a little bit more about Alan and we know how logistics plays a really important part for disaster relief. And like you said, it's not just, you know, the physical part of moving the goods. It's even the knowledge and the expertise to make sure that everything gets there safely and as fast as possible. Right. Because people need supplies right away, don't they? Absolutely. It's, you know, um, if you lose everything, uh, you know, it's it's really critical that you get shelter and food and especially hydration within about a 72 hour window. And, um, you know, within 72 hours, the body starts to break down if you if you don't have sufficient hydration. So um, that rapid um, response capability is is critical to disasters. Wow, I didn't even realize that. So a kind of a just in time you know, how we sort of talk about that in the industry, a just-in-time inventory side of it. It's really like a just-in-time disaster relief. So yeah. then I want to take another um, spin on this conversation because the reason why I started Women in Supply Chain series is to really just get an idea of, you know, how, how we make our decisions in our career, 
mm-hmm. um, how we decide to work for specific companies, how we decide to take risk, you know, what challenges do we overcome? And I think that that's, you know, really helpful, not only to the next generation, but it's also helpful for other people in the industry. And so I want to ask you how you made the decision to work for a non-for-profit. Um, it's, it's definitely different. You said that you were working for a logistics company before that was for profit. Right. Um, and this kind of goes, you know, in a complete opposite direction. So how did you decide to do that? Yeah. So I was very fortunate that, that I received the opportunity, uh, to go do something totally outside of my comfort zone. And I knew I was going to be uh, taking a risk by, by doing something I had never, you know, it was outside of my skill set. But I also knew that it was a minimal risk um, because I had the support of, of Saddle Creek. Um, you know, there was a, a significant conversation about, you know, hey, if I do this for a year and I really hate it, you know, it, that assurance that there would be a place for me to come back to. And, and that was, um, you know, that was laid out clearly. Um, but I did have uh, a lot of conversations, you know, with my trusted advisors, people who, um, were uh, mentors to me, um, people who I worked with, um, you know, within industry, and then the people I had gotten to know through my volunteer work um, with Alan. Um, and ultimately, it really came down to the fact that um, Alan's mission aligns with my passions. Um, and so it was, it was the recognition that um, I could have an impact larger than um, just on, you know, IT systems or, you know, uh, one company's ability to, um, to provide services. I, I could really impact an entire industry's capabilities to, uh, to do good in, in the communities. So that's interesting. How did you start that conversation with Saddle Creek? <laughs> well, now, like, how did that conversation go? It was, hi, you know, I want to take a hiatus, but I want to make sure that my job's there when I get back. I mean, right. you know, tell us, tell us your secrets there. Because again, I think that companies are being more flexible. Right. And, but it's, it really comes down to the language that you use, the yeah. relationships that you have, and how you really get down to that in the end, that conversation. Sure. And, and it actually came from the other direction because the, the CEO of, of Saddle Creek was on the board of Allen and, you know, offered it to me. It, you know, it was at a juncture in, in my career where I had um, finished my graduate work. I probably needed a challenge and um, my VP was, was not retiring anytime soon. So the offer came to me, but it, it, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, uh, is this, you know, is, is this an offer or a way out? <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, that, that there was still a comfort with, you know, with me and my capabilities as an employee. And absolutely the, there was, or there were no concerns there. But like you said, businesses are looking to um, ensure that their employees are, um, are, are happy. Uh, you know, that's probably the wrong word for it, but are, are, you know, receiving the satisfaction they need from their jobs. And sometimes that means supporting them to do something different. Um, you know, if I were to ever go back to a, a commercial, um, you know, for-profit role, the skills that I have learned in doing um, in doing this job for the, for the past 10 years, almost 10 years now, um, 
would be hugely beneficial to any employer. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. I was probably, you know, too naive and, and too young and hadn't really thought through those things. But I, I've, you know, because we're a very small organization, you know, I've had to do things very independently and picked up skills that I never would have operating in a, a large team environment. Um, so um, I, I would, you know, advise anyone who's thinking about, hey, you know, how do I approach this conversation with my employer? You know, bring to them the things that they're going to get out of it. Um, you know, and it's, you know, make sure it's no risk to, to anyone. Yeah, that's really, really great advice. Really great advice. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, or you just spoke a little bit about, um, you know, how you've had to transition into that role. Um, but before that, you were a woman in logistics, you're a woman in supply chain. Did you come up against any challenges in your career? And if you did, what were they? What did they look like? And how did you overcome them? <laughs> you know, I. it's funny because... Um, Looking back, I recognize that I was um, it not only working in logistics, which has long been thought of as a, a male-dominated career, but I was also working in IT at a time where um, that was also considered a, a male-dominated career. Because I wasn't really on the, the software side; I was on the hardware side. You know, we were the you know we're the installation crew, and we're out there you know putting stuff into warehouses and you know the, the technical side of things. Um, I, I never really considered that. I, I think that just has to do with with my my upbringing and um, you know the the mentors and the the families uh, the, the family structure that I had um, growing up. But you know, not every I recognize that not everyone has that advantage. Um, so you know, seek it out if. Um, if you don't have that advantage of having grown up in a household where, you know, being the strong woman is, is not a problem to anyone. Um, certainly I, I encourage everybody to, you know, kind of seek that out, look for other women who you admire um, and ask them what, what their secrets are. That is great advice. And Kenzie and Kona just wanted to be on the episode. I think you heard them bark in the background just there. I did. <laughs> so um, then I want to change, you know, sort of the tone to that and ask you the opposite question, too, because at the end of the day, you know, we want to learn from challenges and, and things that we've had on our journey. But then we also want to talk about the most inspiring parts. And I'm sure working at Allen, um, living your passion, sort of living that dream, you know, dealing with some of these really, really stressful situations can come some really inspire, like some inspiring stories and stuff. Can you, you know, share some of that with us? What has been the most inspiring part of your journey? Well, yeah, I, unfortunately, I see a lot of bad things that happen. I, you know, constantly watching the news and seeing what disaster is next. Um, but on the flip side of that, I also get to see the good that companies and people do in response to disaster. You know, whether that is um, something which may seem small to us, like loaning a forklift to a food bank, uh, to something huge like uh, donating a plane to take Ebola supply, you know, supplies to to the Ebola response back in in 2014. Um, you know, so all of those things. I think what inspires me most is just people's desire um, to to do good and to to help. Um, and they, you know, 
they just really want to get engaged and make sure that um, that they are leaving a legacy, whatever whatever that means to them. Yeah, and probably that feeling of also being a part of something. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I said, there's there's no shortage of disasters. Um, so whether it's in your community or around the globe, um, there is a way to to get involved and you know make sure that. Um, this global community uh, can get your support. So while we're on that topic, I know we're not, we're not done the interview at all, but um, do you want to let people know how they can get involved? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, anytime we're always online at uh, allenaid.org, www.allenaid.org. Um, but, you know, we have a form that says, Hey, tell us how you want to help. Do you want to volunteer? Uh, do you want to offer you know, free services or expertise. Um, there's always something, whether there's a, a major disaster happening or not. Uh, we work with nonprofits who are who are looking to get better. Right? They recognize that um, that they probably spend too much on logistics because they're not the experts. Um, and so we work with them. Uh, you know, we bring in volunteers who can help them do some optimization, and that's just. You know, that's just one way. It doesn't have to be a physical or financial contribution. It can really be your your expertise and your knowledge that makes a difference. I love that because not, and I don't know about everybody else, but for me, you know, it's not necessarily the first thing that you think of um, that people would need help with. Um, so on the one hand, I like that, you know, the companies are reaching out and saying, we might not be doing this the best way. Can we get somebody mm-hmm. to give us some advice and help us on that path? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the coin, you're a supply chain professional wanting to give back to the community, not quite sure how you can do it, might not be able to do it financially, but then just knowing that the knowledge and, and what you've done in your career can then go and help with disaster relief and, you know, that non-for-profit side of the business um, is is really unique and something that we should all really take into account and think about. Yeah, you know, I, and I have this, this wonderful example from a couple of years ago where there was a non-profit um, that does a, a blanket and quilt drive every year. Uh, you know, the, these People hand make these beautiful quilts and then they are used as comfort items after a disaster. Um, and they were spending, you know, an inordinate amount of money uh, because, you know, they they throw a couple of pallets on the back of a, a truck and, you know, they pay for the full truckload. Uh, so we had someone say, hey, if you could just move those quilts, you know, 100 miles down the road and aggregate everything, you could build a full truckload and save yourself a ton of money. Um, that nonprofit actually ended up saving about a quarter of a million dollars in their transportation spend over wow. you know, a two or three year period. And I think about that and say, how much more good are they able to do now? Um, how much more can go directly to their mission of serving in disaster simply because they don't have to pay those huge transportation bills anymore? And that was probably, you know, maybe 10 or 15 hours worth of work on a, you know, someone who has that, that expertise to be able to, to sit down, go through their transportation spend with them and just come up with that very simple plan. 
Absolutely. That is that is amazing and something that we can all do. Right. You know, we all have different expertise in different areas of supply chain. And we all have at least that little bit of time that we could, we could give back. But again, you know, not something that's really top of mind that people are like, hey, you know, that's what I can do for them. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out and gave us that example, so that, you know, others can get inspired and hopefully contact you and and really help that mission. So I want to talk about the next generation. Um, I always ask for advice, but sometimes I ask for just a single piece of advice. So what do you think is the single most important takeaway you could give to the next generation about their career, their career in supply chain? It could really be about anything. Yeah, um, I think the thing that resonates with me most, and and I have a a child who is of the next generation, and you know, if I'm thinking about, you know, if I were talking to her and her friends, what I want them to to think about is don't try to keep up with other people's success. Chart your own course because success is going to look different for everyone. You never know, you know, uh, you know, someone may be doing hours and hours and hours worth of activities or, or, you know, they may be taking on lots of responsibilities and you're only doing one or two things. That's what success looks like to them. Look at what success means to you. So just don't get caught up in that comparison game because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't serve anyone well. It will cause you more stress when, um, when really looking towards, looking inside of yourself to see what's important to you. Yeah. And also, you know, it, that goes for everybody around you, right? Parents, siblings, you know, not just your friends, not just your environment. Um, but I, I love that advice because you got really got to look within and figure out what that success means to you because it might not be financial, you know, it might be giving back and living your passion. Like you've decided to do and you were able to do, um, you know, it might just be one day, one day at a time, right? One day it might just be having that conversation about going on a hiatus to go and live your passion. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I I think that because I am, uh, living my passion, you know, uh, that financial success that other my other peers are having um, is different for me, um, and I am I am very happy. I mean, I, I have the absolute best job in the world, um, and it comes with rewards that are not necessarily monetary, um, but I know that I'm going to sleep well at night uh, because of the network of people surrounding me who really want to do do good. So, Kathy. I think that a thunderstorm is starting here too. (laughs) So I don't know if anybody can hear it, but now I have thunder on my end. I think the the weather gods are, are, might not be with us today, but anyways, so we only have one last question. I want to ask you about the future. What's next for Kathy and Alan? So I want to continue serving the community, you know, both the the business uh, logistics community as well as the nonprofit community um, throughout whatever nature (laughs) decides to bring our way, natural or man-made disasters, whatever happens. Um, And and that means things like uh, making sure that the data we provide um, and the way in which we connect with 
uh, with our communities is easier. It's in a, a more visual format. So, so o- over the summer, we're going to be rolling out um, some GIS-based tools to to help um, to help both the nonprofit and the the business community. Um, we want we want people to to stay in business, and so that means more educational and preparedness activities. Uh, we have a supply chain checkup tool, um, which is which is on our website. I'm happy to share that with anyone. Just kind of looking across uh, all of the activities, you know, from your suppliers to your customers, and thinking about where you may be at risk, um, and then bringing people together. Um, it all starts with relationships, and it all starts with um, just understanding um, who you need to, to work with and who you can help. Um, whether you know whether you're in a business role or a nonprofit role, uh, you have to have relationships. You have to have friendships in order to um, to to be successful. Um, so we bring people together. We, we're going to continue convening people for conversations about how to how to respond better, how to how to collaborate better. Um, how to do more together during disaster. So exciting times here. Absolutely. Can you just let, what does GIS mean? You mentioned GIS. What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, geographic information systems. So this is you oh. know, all of the kind of mapping tools that people are um, moving towards. The visual representation of, um, of what's really happening in the physical space. Perfect. Well, logistics is a huge part of disaster relief, and Alan is the facilitator that saves lives and reduces suffering for disaster survivors. With over $100 million in aid delivered and 60 nonprofits served, Kathy and her team are some of the angels in our community. To support them in their fight, please visit them at allenaid.org. Plus, I will have more information at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 70. Thank you so much, Kathy, for coming on the show in the middle of two thunderstorms. Thank you. It's been a joy. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder, has to say. How long does it take you to get a duty rate or guidance on the right HS classification from your current customs broker? With Border Buddy's new revolutionary self-service technology, you will never go traditional again. We have created a platform that allows you to get instant quotes on duties, taxes, and customs fees to import your products into North America. To get 10% off your first clearance, sign up at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. If you liked this episode, go and check out the other woman in my Women in Supply Chain series on the podcast. You will hear from Nazuko in South Africa, Catherine Cooper, Michelle DeVivo, plus so many more amazing women. And on the blog, you will read about Angela from Shapiro, Erica from Schneider, and Audrey Ross from Orchard. All of their stories are inspiring. They are uplifting. They talk about challenges, risks, and advice. So go and check all of that out at letstalksupplychain.com, either on the podcast or the blog pages. Next week, stay tuned. We are talking all about Panama. (laughs) 
and how you can utilize Panama in your supply chain strategy to come out with success. It's a hidden gem that most of you probably don't know about. So you're going to want to tune in to next week's episode as I talk to Demo about Panama and all it has to offer for your supply chain strategy. I love my community and appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to help support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow and subscribe on LinkedIn, YouTube, on our newsletter, Twitter, Instagram. Go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Be one of the first people to know once we are launching the beta, which is if it hasn't happened yet, It's going to happen very, very soon, and you're going to want to be one of the first to know about it. Next, on the website, I have a supply chain dictionary, 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions that you need to succeed in supply chain. So go and check that out under shop at letstalksupplychain.com. And lastly, rate and review the show so other people can find us and I can feature your review on an upcoming episode. Don't you want to be featured on an upcoming episode? Anyways, send me all of your reviews. I love hearing from my audience. Thank you again so much. And remember, everybody, ship happens.